I want to share with you this morning on the theme of a new skin for a new wine. A new skin for a new wine. Let me just say, even before we begin, I believe there are those in this place this morning at the conclusion of this time together are going to be touched very powerfully by the Holy Spirit. There are some of you sitting here right now, you have been on the banks of the river of God, you've felt the spray and in you is a mounting hunger that's been increasing over the last weeks and months. And if you don't know who you are, then you're probably not who I'm talking about. But if you know who I'm talking about, you know exactly who you are. Let me just say the Lord is going to use this opportunity to invite you into the river of what he's doing, to experience the new wine of his presence. So are you ready for that? If that's you, I want you to put you on notice that the, that the Lord has you in mind today for what you are getting ready to hear. So with that being said, Luke chapter 5, verse number 36, let is, let's dive in. I am uh, mindful of the uh, time, and if you don't mind, I don't mind. All right, Luke chapter 5, verse number 36. Are you ready? It says, he told them this parable, this he is referring to Jesus. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins. The wine will run out, and the wineskin will be ruined. No new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new, for he says, the old is better. Can we pray for a moment? Lord, your words are spirit, and they are life. Man and woman shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. Lord, what we need today, Lord, is not something from my mouth. We need something from your mouth. So I pray in this moment, Lord, you would, in the way that only you can do, would harmonize my mouth with your mouth. And Lord, let your word come forth that we can all stand in amazement by it and be changed from it. We so long, God, and are so hungry, Lord, for all that you have for us. Truly, Lord, we can echo with the psalmist that as the deer panted for the water brooks, so our soul longs after you, O oh God. And I pray, if I could have any prayer answered today, Lord, I pray, Lord, there would be a great hunger that would begin to rise up in each one of us, that our appetite would begin to get wet for you, Lord, moistened for you, Lord, to desire the things of God more than the things of this world. Lord, the areas in this world where we have caused ourselves, Lord, or we have tried to be satiated by it has left us void. Lord, I pray, God, that we would turn our attention toward you, to the water that will never, Lord, that will never run dry, the fountain of God, that you've called us to drink from. We love you and thank you in the great name of Jesus. Amen. This is a powerful passage that we're going to take the next few moments and 
unpackage a bit. So I encourage you, don't nod off on me. Try to hang with it. If you see your neighbor like nodding off, give him a good jab in the side. But I want you to get on the train for a second, not the Trump train, but the Dustin train for a few moments and, and hang with me till we get to the um, end of this because God has a direction for us for this service. In this passage, we didn't have time to read it, but Jesus is in a conversation with the Pharisees. How many of you know the Pharisees? How many of you are a Pharisee? No, I'm just kidding. He had just got through having a conversation with them, and they have levied quite a few accusations against him. They have accused him of not being able to forgive sin. They have accused him of how can you eat dinner with tax collectors and sinners? How can you do these things? They even levied accusations against his disciples. They were saying, listen, while we're all praying and fasting, even the disciples of John are praying and fasting, your disciples are eating and drinking and being merry. They are really laying into him because the Pharisees had trouble understanding Jesus. He certainly did not fit into their preconceived notions of what they thought the Messiah ought to look like. That is why they didn't recognize him. Perhaps we today have a problem recognizing him because he simply will not fit into the molds that we have created. You see, we all have a mold of God that we have created that's been shaped by our education, by our experience, and our religion. Jesus cannot be shaped by your education, your experience, our religion. He won't allow himself. So Jesus used these two examples to illustrate why the Pharisees had a problem with him. And I dare say why many of us struggle in our own walks with God. And we're going to see that. It's very simple that you can't use the new to patch the old. You can't use the new to patch the old. And you can't pour the new into the old. That's the basic principle that's being established here today as he begins to give us this parable of the wineskin. Now, most of us, if I walk into your wine cellars at home, I am probably not going to find a wineskin hanging in it. I may not even find a wine cellar, but certainly not a wineskin. We don't have wineskins. But wineskins were common in the day of Jesus. So what was a wineskin? We may have an image, I'm not sure. But a wineskin was simply the goat skin. And they would seal the goat skin. They would seal its legs and its neck and its tail. And inside this skin is where they would pour the fresh wine. And as it would ferment in the wine skin for two to four months, during the fermentation process, it would give off something called carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide would cause this skin to swell. It would stay in there for up to four months. Now, after the fermentation process was over, the um, alcohol had reached about 12%. Now, interestingly enough, the, the alcohol affected the skin itself, the collagen that was in the skin, and it robbed it of, it of its properties to be able to be elastic anymore. So after this was done, the skin was no longer any good. It lost its ability to expand and contract. So those that were listening to Jesus today, they understood that if you tried to put new wine into an old wineskin that already was used, it would not be able to expand during the fermentation process. And what would happen to the wineskin? It would burst. It would ruin the wineskin, which could be used for water. It would also ruin the new wine that was put in it. Now you're thinking, well, I didn't come to church today to learn about how to make wine. Well, what does this have to do with me? Maybe you're asking, what does this have to do? Listen, this has a lot to do, 
about us. Let me give you an example. There's a guy by the name of Elihu. He was, who knows who Elihu was? He was the fourth friend of Job. Remember Job's story? He's, you know, sitting around going through all this stuff and has these guys coming down and sit down around him. And these first, you know, three friends, they didn't give him good advice, but there was this one guy by the name of Elihu who was a young man and he was sitting there and he was listening to what all of his elders had to say. But something was going on inside of his spirit as he was waiting for his moment to begin to share. And this is how Elihu talked about how he described what he was going through. In Job 32 and verse 18, he says, For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside, I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins, ready to burst. You see that? For I am full of words, and the spirit within me compels me. Inside, I am like bottled up wine, like new wineskins, ready to burst. You see, God works in the arena of the new. God is always doing something new. I have learned in my life that God is always moving me to a new season or a new chapter, requiring me not to get stuck. You know, we all have the tendency to get stuck, don't we? I used to think when I began to follow the Lord in my early days, I said, Lord, what have you called me to do? And I began to get very fixated by, Lord, this is what you're going to call me. So I'm going to go prepare myself to do whatever you've called me to do. But you know what I have learned? That God doesn't call me to do just one thing. God works according to seasons and chapters in our life. I'm excited for Keith and Katie because they are moving in to a brand new wineskin. And in that place, God has so much new wine that he's going to pour into your life in that new wineskin. God does not want us to stay in the same wineskin. He's always moving us forward. God is always doing something new. Do you believe that? God is about new, and you're going to see that. Now listen to this promise in Isaiah 43. I love this verse. It's come to mean a great deal to me over the past year. Isaiah 43, 18. It says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. He's asking the question, do you not perceive it? Because God is always doing new things. Let me just give you a couple of examples throughout Scripture where God did some new and interesting things. For example, he told Noah to build a boat when it had never rained before. That was a new thing. He told Abraham to leave his home without telling him where to go. He told Gideon to send tens of thousands of soldiers home except for 300 to go up against an army of hundreds of thousands. He told Elijah to throw a stick on the water to make an iron axe head swim to the surface. He told Jehoshaphat to put the choir out in front of the soldiers when they attacked the enemy. You know, God is into doing new things. That's oftentimes counterintuitive to what you would do or what I would do. God is going to make a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. And he doesn't need to borrow your back hole or garden hose to do it. God is going to do a new thing. Now, I wonder this morning if there's someone here today that's saying, Lord, you know, I perceive that you are doing a new thing. This question the prophet is asking is a very important question. He says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? In other words, it is requiring you, it's requiring me to answer the question. Either we're going to see it or we are not going to see it. 
It is a choice. Lord, am I going to see what you're doing? Because if I begin to see the new thing that you're doing, then we're getting ready for the new skin that God wants to clothe us with to contain the new wine that he is doing. There's some of you that have answered yes to that question. You have sensed the newness of life, and right now you are standing on the banks of the river of God, and he's beckoning you to come. To come. But if you don't answer yes to that question, you'll never see the river, and you'll never hear the invitation. So if you're not hearing the invitation, and you're not seeing the river, and you're not feeling the spray on your face, then you need to say, Lord, what's wrong with me? Because there's nothing wrong with him. Because our God is doing a new thing. He's already started to do a new thing in your life. His words are spirit and they are life. There is a new wine that is looking for a new wineskin. You will never risk putting new wine in an old wineskin. It requires a new one. Now, in these early passages, we see Christ is setting the tone for the New Testament. These early chapters in the book of Luke, he's setting the tone for the entire New Testament. He was saying that the Old Testament could no longer fully contain what the Spirit was now doing. It was the Old Covenant. It was a tutor. It was pointing everybody to something else. And Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4, When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son. He was doing a new thing. He was about to introduce a new covenant that's coming. Now, the wine in the Bible is not only a symbol of the blood, but it's also a symbol of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18. I like this verse. Ephesians 5.18. Don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. Understand that? Don't be drunk. That will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Be filled. If you look at that in the Greek, we call that the present active indicative verb. You put an ing on the end of a verb. It means it's ongoing. That it's not a just one-time experience. Well, I was filled with the Spirit back in 1965. No, we are to be ongoingly filled with the new wine of His Spirit. The Holy Spirit has always been at work in the world. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, when the disciples experienced the filling of the Holy Spirit, what did the mockers accuse them of? You were drunk with new wine. That's how the Holy Spirit operates. The Holy Spirit represents this wine, the one who moves inside of us. The Spirit of God has always been the activity of God in our life and on the planet. Some of you, I grew up in a, in a denomination that was kind of like, you know, God the Father, God the Son, and what's his name? We didn't give much attention to the Holy Spirit because we didn't really know what to do with him. But the Holy Spirit's always doing a lot. The Holy Spirit defines God's activity amongst his creation. In fact, when you look in the language of Greek and Hebrew, you find out that the very word for spirit is pneuma, from which we get the word pneumatic. It is the power of air. Now, one of the problems that we try to do with the Holy Spirit is we try to separate him from God, the Father. And we create this like he's an it. He's just like the force. He's not the force. He is not an it. He is a person. To separate the Holy Spirit from God would be like trying to separate wind from air. 
Air is all around us. Do you realize that? Air is all around us right now. We live because of the very air in this room and the very air in your lungs. It gives us life. But we often don't recognize the air, even though it's around us everywhere in us. It is giving us life. But what do we call air when it begins to blow? We call it wind. Then we can begin to feel the wind. So God is all around us. We live because of him. He gives us life but we often don't recognize him. But when God moves, we can feel it. And who are we feeling? The Holy Spirit. I love how God begins to communicate to Job. Job is going through an extreme set of situation, would you say? He's going through an extreme situation. God is ushering him into a new wineskin. And God's fixing to bless him with all kind of new wine. He's going through this difficulty and hardship, but then God, after he goes through all this and he hears from his friend, then God begins to speak to Job. It's in Job chapter 33 or 38, one. I love this verse. It says, the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That Job, Job heard God, but God spoke out of the wind. You see, God speaks to the wind of the Holy Spirit. You may not recognize the air around you, but when God begins to do something new, you're gonna feel the air begin to move in the room. You're gonna sense the movement of the air and it's going to become wind. The Holy Spirit was present and powerful just as much in the Old Testament as he was in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit, in fact, his first defining act was in creation itself. Genesis 1-2 says, The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the Spirit of God was what? hovering over the face of the waters. The Spirit of God was used to create the earth itself. In fact, the Bible teaches us, even the prophets in the Old Testament, 2 Peter 1.21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were what? Carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. He was very active all through the Old Testament. But there comes a shift in the New Testament. Things begin to change a bit. In the New Testament, something changes. The Holy Spirit's first and defining act has to do with birth. Now check this out, Matthew 1 and verse 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. This is Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from who? is from the Holy Spirit. Unlike creation, which is God moving on, now the Holy Spirit is moving in. So as Jesus began to prepare his disciples for the work of the Holy Spirit, you can read all about it in John chapter 14, one of the things that he points out to the disciples, it's good that I'm leaving because I'm sending, who? The Holy Spirit. He is now with you, but very soon he is gonna be where? In you. So things begin to change in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit moves into us at salvation. The New Testament starts with the story of this young lady and the Holy Spirit doing something new in her, a virgin birth, right? Yeah, what was Mary's response when she heard this news that the Holy Spirit was gonna overshadow her and place in her the Messiah? Luke chapter 1, 38. She says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be to me as you have said. May it be to me as you have said. This is the theme of the New Testament. God wants to do something new 
and he wants to do it in you and he wants to do it in me. But Mary yielded to the authority of God in her life. She said, so let it be. You know, everything that God wants to do in your life requires yielding. Yielding. You know what a yield sign is? When you pull up to a yield sign, how is a yield sign a little different than a stop sign? Because a stop sign tells you what? Exactly what to do. What does the yield sign require? It requires you to make the call. When you come to a yield sign, you see oncoming cars, and you have to make a judgment call. Can I get out there in time, or should I yield, and should I wait? One of the things that the Holy Spirit is, he is a perfect gentleman. Some people are expecting God to do everything, but it requires us to yield to what he wants to do. The Holy Spirit will not come into your life, sorry, Miley Cyrus, as a wrecking ball. That's not how our Holy Spirit works. He is a perfect gentleman. He comes in how? Based on your yieldedness to him. Yielding is required. And the more you yield, guess what you become? You become a charismatic. Yes, you do. You become a charismatic. So I'm not a charismatic. Well, I sure hope you are. Let's get past the stereotype, shall we? If you are born again, you are a charismatic. Guess what? Look at your neighbor and say, you're a charismatic. Go ahead, and, go ahead and embrace it, not the stereotype. You know what that word means? It means endowment of grace. It means the movement of grace in your life. Who wants to be a charismatic? Yes, I want to be a charismatic. And the more you yield to him, the more charismatic you become. The more charismata, the movement of grace through your life. How many of you desire for grace to move through your life? Yes, and the more you yield to him, the more he will flow through you and the more charismatic you will become. You see, the new wine is always looking for a new skin. There were 120 people in the upper room under the command of Jesus and they were yielding they were yielding and they were waiting on God to do something that they had never experienced before. It was brand new. All they had was, well, we got to go here and wait and pray. And after 10 days, the air in the room turned to wind. And that wind began to fill them and change them. And they turned the world upside down. When I was in Israel, I had a chance to go to the upper room, or at least what they believed to be a room that could have been like the upper room. And one of the things that you notice, there are no windows in the room. So where does the wind come from? But there's air in the room. You see, when God begins to move by his spirit, air begins to transition into wind. And you begin to sense the movement of God in a situation. If you're walking with the Lord, you should always be able to discern when the wind begins to blow. God begins to move. It's his activity by his spirit. Now, if you've never felt the wind blow, it feels pretty good. It feels pretty powerful when the wind begins to blow. But wind can be defined by a little gentle breeze or it can be defined by what? A tornado which is when. When God begins to move, God can oftentimes mess up things. He can mess up our nice, ordered world. Many of us are satisfied with a nice little breeze, but when the wind begins to blow, the landscape begins to change. 
You see, fire changes landscape, but also wind changes the landscape. When the Holy Spirit begins to move inside of you, he's changing the landscape of your life to contain more of him. So let the wind blow. But the Pharisees, and perhaps us, have a dilemma. They are really struggling with this. And here's the challenge. When God wanted to do something new, the Pharisees were still caught up in the old. They couldn't embrace the new because they were caught up into the old. Some might say they were in a rut. Who knows what a rut is? Someone wants to find a rut as a grave, but with the ends cut out. If you're stuck in a rut, it's very much like a grave. You're not getting anywhere. And this is the problem for us today. Jesus concludes this parable with this sobering statement. I want you to really see this because I was looking at this this week and I was seeing my own life in this verse. Luke chapter 5, verse number 39. It says, And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. Now just let that just wash through you just for a second. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. What does that tell you about yourself? You're always going to prefer what? The old. It's the natural tendency of who we are. Unless God begins to stir things up a bit and move us forward. Now before you start feeling bad about yourself, I want you to remember this. Old wine was at one time new wine. Everybody got that? Old wine was at one time new wine. The point is not that old is bad. The point is that God is doing something new, but we're more comfortable with the old. Do you agree with that? We all find ourselves right there. We're all, you know, this is an equal opportunity to be offended. We're, we're, we're all right here. We all prefer the old. As I began to meditate on this week, I said, why is it, why do we prefer the old so much? Because the, the sad thing is the more we prefer the old, the more we are depriving ourselves of what God has for us next. What is it in us? And I came up with just a couple of things. Why do we prefer the old? Number one, familiarity. Familiarity. We like familiarity. It is comfortable. It is comfortable for us. We like what is familiar to us. We like our music or we like how we dress. We like the old things. We like the music that once brought us to God. We associate certain songs even with our salvation and our experience with Jesus. We get all nostalgic and we have warm fuzzies when we hear this. We think about, we, we have certain songs that come to mind. My kids make fun of me because, you know, now I'm finding myself in the old camp. I got born again young, so I didn't even get a chance to you know, dive deep into secular music. I just, I just began to pull up to the buffet of Sandy Patty, <laughs> Wayne Watson, Ray Bolts, God help that poor soul, Ray Bolts, Petra, Steve Green. Anybody heard these names before? Oh, yeah. Who got born again sometime in the like, late 80s? And I say these names, and, and like my kids, who, who are you talking about? And I will still every now and pull on my iPad. I'll pull up some of these songs and, they'll, and they will take me back to a day. And it's important to remember those days. 
It's important to look back and remember what God has done to recount his blessings. But can I tell you something? It's impossible for you to navigate your life by only looking in the rearview mirror. Now that rearview mirror up on your windshield is really important. It's going to help you. But you don't stare in the rearview mirror when you're going to work. Unless you're driving in reverse and that's probably not what we do. Now, it's important every now and then to glance in the rearview mirror, isn't it? It's a very vital tool. But most of the time, you're staring where? Forward. Take a glance to the past, but you keep moving forward. We like what is familiar to us, even how we dress. We like what's comfortable. We like a certain color. We like a certain style. I remember my son, Michael, for a short time, he worked for American Eagle. And he began to tell me, he said, Dad, I want you to try these new pair of blue jeans. They got this, you know, stretchy denim. I'm not sure what he was implying, but you got you to gotta try this stretchy denim. I said, son, I like my own jeans. I like what I wear. He said, no. I, I said, all right, I will try it. So he brought me on a pair. And guess what? My goodness, it's the best thing since sliced bread. Look at that. That's awesome. Look at that, man. That's fantastic. Bring home the pizza. But I never would have ventured out and tried on something new unless I was provoked a bit. And now, guess what? I had him buy me four or five more pairs. It's all I wear now. But something about us will default to familiarity because we want to hold on to what we know, to hold on to what is comfortable. But it's impossible to hold on to what you know and to hold on to what is comfortable and progress in your walk with God in this place. It's true, isn't it? Now, this isn't going to keep you out of heaven, but it's going to keep you from a greater usefulness for the kingdom while you're here. This isn't a thing that pertains to salvation. This is a thing that pertains to usefulness for the kingdom of God in the here and now. We can't hold, we got to be able to move forward in all God has. Familiarity keeps us locked into the past. Number two, also safety. Who likes to be safe? Safety. We like safety. We want to, we want to do something that's, you know, risk-free. We don't want anything unexpected to happen. We like predictability. How many of you like predictability? We like it. We do. There's a level of comfort that comes from that safety. And because of that, fear of the unknown gets in. One of the things that will rob us of experiencing God is fear of the unknown. Do you think you know God fully? Is there more of God for you to know? then there are aspects that are unknown to you in your relationship with him. I had this thought the other day, and I've kind of come to the conclusion that a mark of spiritual maturity is knowing less today than I knew yesterday. <laughs> As the more we seek God, the more we discover about him, yeah, I may move from a thimble capacity to an eight-ounce measuring cup capacity, but it's pretty small in comparison to the ocean, isn't it? Or the more I know today, and I'm going, to, I'm going to unlearn some things as I move forward. And eventually, as you begin to seek God and seek first his kingdom, you sort of get like the apostle Paul guy. We said, Lord, I don't know anything anymore, but in Jesus Christ and him crucified. That's how your walk with God will be quantified is in how little you know about him. Because he's bigger than you are, isn't he? But fear will lock you into discovering the greatness of God. We sang earlier, how great is our God. And the enemy works in the place of fear. The enemy works in fear. 
Should you be afraid of God? No, will he ever hurt you? Will he ever harm you? Do you think he knows what you need? Do you think he knows the answer of your prayer before you even pray it? Because perhaps even when you pray, it's not what you really need. God knows you, but the enemy wants to rob you of all that he has for you. So the warning for us is this, in this place of familiarity, this place of safety, it can lead us quickly into something we call legalism. Because legalism will keep things predictable, will keep things familiar, and it'll keep things safe. Legalism can also be a misunderstood word. It's not simply obeying the laws. Do you think it's important to obey laws? Yes, you want to be legal, but legalism is dangerous. It is depending on a set of rules to accomplish what only God can accomplish through his spirit. That's what legalism is. I'm going to depend on these rules and these regulations when God says, no, you need to depend upon me. In that sense, we all tend toward legalism, just like the Pharisees. We like familiarity. We like safety. But can I tell you something? God cannot be reduced to a formula. He can't. No more than your wife or your husband can be reduced to a formula. No more than your children can be reduced to a formula. It's a relationship. It's not machinery. Michelle is not a machine. If she was, I could probably figure it out. My children are not a machine. If I was, I could probably figure them out if I just do this and oil that and tweak this. and Yeah, but that's not how it works. It demands relationship. God is not a machine. We're trying to use God to patch up a life we are comfortable with. We want to use God to patch up a life that we are comfortable with. Do you get that? We want to use God to patch up a life that we are comfortable with, but God is not interested in your comfort and my comfort. He's interested in our growth, but we like our comfort. So that puts us at what? Odd sometimes with the purposes of God, but God is sovereign and he wants us to move forward. We're trying to fit God into our safe set of rules, but God is not into patchwork. He is into transformation. He is into doing something new. God does not make quilts. He makes a brand new blanket. God does not do patchwork. He does something brand new. And in this place of legalism, like the Pharisees, we think then that everyone else should conform to our safe and comfortable box. It doesn't work that way, does it? In the Ten Commandments, God says, do not make any graven images. Why? Because God says, you are not going to hold me. You can't make an image of me. You can't even contain me. I'm bigger than who you are. I'm not going to be an idol for you. I'm large. Yeah, you can make the Ark of the Covenant, but that's just going to be a footstool. It's not going to hold me. I'm bigger than that. I'm larger than what you are. My friends, we simply can't stuff the new into the old. When we try, we ruin both. That's why we must obey the gospel. You see, God's spirit cannot live in the old man. We have to die. We have to be buried. Jeff preached on this last week, Romans 6 and verse 3. Listen to this, Romans 6 and 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. 
Sometimes we have to die all over again. Sometimes you die every day. Because if we don't, we start leaning on the old again. We begin to retreat into what is comfortable, what is familiar, and what is safe. That's my tendency. That's all of our tendency. But how many know God is good? How many know God is good at causing the wind to blow? God is good about moving in the backyard and on the deck and causing some tables to be blown over and chairs to be knocked down and causing the wind chimes to blow. God is good about moving and stirring things up so we don't default to this position. But we gotta understand in those moments, we gotta say, Lord, are you doing a new thing? I think I do perceive it. Because if we say no, we resist and we do what to the Holy Spirit? We grieve him. We grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't want the dove to fly away, do we? We don't wanna grieve the Holy Spirit by depending on the old man. This serves to move us into the new season of what God is doing, the new skin for the new wineskin. When you begin to sense God's wind blowing in your life, you know something new is coming. Sometimes you may end up losing a job. Maybe your boyfriend or girlfriend dumps you. You know, sometimes when the wind begins to blow, it's difficult, isn't it? Things get turned over. Things get disheveled. Things get moved around. But guess what God's doing? He's getting ready to do something new. And anytime you let go of the old, what does God want to hand you? A new pair of stretchy denim. Because God knows what you need better than you do. As you begin to trust that. But it involves an action upon our part. We have to yield. We have to yield. We have to say, yes, Lord, I perceive you doing a new thing. The word teaches us that we have to put on the new man. Look at this, Ephesians 4.22. We're going to try to land here. Ephesians 4.22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in the true righteousness and holiness. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. So much has to do with your attitude. Do you believe that? Your attitude determines a lot about your experience with God. If your attitude says, Lord, I'm going to put off the old man. I'm going to put on the new self. Then what can you begin to expect? New wine coming. It is our choice. We must put on the new self. The new skin what God wants to do in us. I like this verse here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. I'd like to invite the worship team as we kind of begin to move forward. This passage says that we are being transformed from what? Glory to glory. With every another level of glory comes a new skin and a new wine of what God wants to do in your life. You see, God is always doing something what? He's always doing something new. In reality, though, is it really all that new? It's probably an ancient path. It's more new to you, isn't it? 
God is doing what he has always done. I want to read this to you. And I just went through the Bible and I put together a bunch of different passages that speak of what God is doing in the new. It says, God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This makes us able ministers of the new covenant because we have a new and living way open for us through the veil because of our new birth. He says, believers will speak with new tongues. Nevertheless, we look for new heavens and a new earth where God says he will write on us a new name and where we will sing a new song. Then he who sat on the throne said, behold, I make all things new. Can I tell you, God is into new. God is into new. God is into fresh. God is into new manna every morning. God is into new. He is not into that which is old. I'm here to tell you that there's a new wine, but that new wine is looking for a new skin. God will never pour new wine into an old wine skin. Because you know what he knows? It will waste the wine and it will ruin the person. He wants to make sure we're a new skin. God is looking to do something wonderful, wonderfully new in your life. In this new bridge family. You say, why do we have to change the name of the church? Because we need a new name because there's new wine that God wants to do. It's just a symbol, isn't it? It's what God wants to do. It's the very act of baptism. As we come down in death, we raise up to what? New life to experience new wine. Here's the question. I wonder what it is in your life that simply cannot coexist with the new thing that God wants you to do. Remember, God's not interested in patching up your comfortable life. What safe, comfortable thing have you been retreating to? Nothing great is ever born from people who want to just play it safe. Nothing great ever happens if all you want to do in your life is play it safe. We all want to pray for our kids. Lord, keep them safe. It's okay to pray, but you know what I want to pray? Lord, make them dangerous. Make them dangerous. Because there's no way to be safe and be really effective for the kingdom of God, is it? Because guess what? It may cost you something. It will cost you something. God's looking for someone that will step out in faith and say, I don't know what's going to happen, but I want God in my life. I am willing to risk the wind of the Holy Spirit. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. I'm willing, Lord. Now, all of us find ourselves at a unique position in the journey with God. The Holy Spirit is a perfect gentleman. Imagine with me a pool in the summertime. Can you imagine a public pool in the summertime? You see all the people around it. There's all kind of people that gathers around the river of God. You have some people, what? They're just kind of sitting on the lounge chairs, but they're enjoying the after spray and they're, they're there. You got other people that are what? They're kind of dangling their feet in the water. This feels kind of good. You got the little, you know, nine-year-old girl that's trying to step in just a little bit at a time, you know, starts acclimating. You just go really, really slow. Then you got the dude on the diving board, just dumps in the, just jumps in the deep end. 
bam, water going everywhere. But everybody's having a great time around the river of God because everything the river touches, everything the river touches brings life. Whether you're in the deep end, the shallow end, whether you're getting the spray, there's always the invitation of God to get a little closer to all he has. There's always the invitation for the person sitting on the lounge chair to get in. I'll never forget, we were at the Mall of Georgia years ago during the summertime. And you know, the back entrance of the Mall of Georgia has that fountain that, you know, shoots up. And people just out there playing and all this stuff. And I'm just kind of sitting there. And I, I don't know why I was there, but I was sitting there by myself. And, and I'm just watching people play in this water. And the kids are running around. And I observed a conversation, this little boy. He was about nine and he went and had it with his granddad. I'm assuming it's his granddad. Either that he was Abraham, one or the other. But. And I couldn't hear what they were saying, but he kind of, you know, knelt down, listened to the little boy. And he was dressed up. He has a nice button-up shirt on and pants and penny loafers and stuff. And that granddad took that little boy's hand and he led him right into the river, right into the fountain. That 70-year-old man just got soaked, getting soaked with water. And I thought to myself, man, that's really awesome. I, I kind of want to get in. And I said, I really want to get in. But something was holding me. And, I, and as I watched them having so much fun, I was, I don't know, it was it a, just a moment of infantile EDC. I don't know. But I just, I just went and got in myself. It's just, boy, they were having so much fun. I just went and got in. You see, that's what. The river of God does. The river of God is an invitation. It compels us to go deeper into the things of God. It's never forced. It's never harsh. It's, it's never mean. It's just like, my goodness, it's, it's good. And it's okay if you want to get a spray. It's okay if you want to get your toe in. As long as you're moving. We like to say God's not looking for perfection. He's looking for direction. He's looking for you to be moving in the right direction for all that he has for us. But it does involve in letting go of some comforts. I had to leave the fountain and walk to Bed Bath Beyond and buy a towel so I could get, so I could get home. But you know what's funny? When I got in the water, it felt so awesome. It was like 95 degrees. You're getting there and the water's just hitting you. Man, it felt so good. The Spirit of God brings life and life more abundant. It's the invitation that you have and that I have to get closer and closer to Him. And just kind of put you at ease. You're never going to figure it out. You're not going to reduce God to a formula. But out of your belly can flow a river of living water as you come closer and closer to Him. And you can be like Elihu. You can make statements like He said, for I am full of words and the Spirit within me compels me. Inside, I am like bottled up wine like new wineskins ready to burst when was the last time you felt like a wineskin ready to burst when was the last time you were so full of Jesus you couldn't help but witness to somebody you couldn't help but pray you couldn't help but worship if it's been a long time then brother, my, my brother my sister what should you do Lord I want to yield to you a little more I want to put off the old and I want to put on the new. Can I invite you to stand?